Good morning. Our scripture passage is from Genesis 33, verses 1 to 4. Uh, we're going to, I'm going to read from the message. Let's first pray uh, for God to illuminate this uh, scripture for us. Heavenly Father, I pray that uh, as we read your word and hear the preaching of the gospel today, that it would become part of who we are in Christ as new creations, as your people. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Jacob looked up and saw Esau coming with his 400 men. He divided the children between Leah and Rachel and the two maidservants. He put the maidservants out in front, Leah and her children next, and Rachel and Joseph last. He led the way, and as he approached his brother, bowed seven times, honoring his brother. But Esau ran up and embraced him, held him tight and kissed him, and they both wept. The word of the Lord. Hey kids, mom needs more help inside. Hey, how many kids do you have? Three. Three? Yeah. That is a good number. Whoa, whoa. Um, let's just concentrate on this one for now. <laughs> hey, what's it like being a dad? Sleeping for two days, Daddy. <laughs> Goodbye, Mr. Clams. All right, just slow down a little Dad, bit. Stop yelling at me. I don't think that's. <gasps> oh, okay, okay. All right, and that is why we always wear our seatbelt. And that's the birds and the bees. proud of you, son. Run. Huh? Run, it's going to blow! Have I told you lately... I know, Dad. You love me. You tell me all the time. Actually, I was going to tell you I think you're beautiful inside and out. 
Whatever. Dad, you are disgusting. Yeah, Dad, you are disgusting. This right here goes to your future, this right here goes to you, and this right here goes to God. Whoa, whoa, whoa. How much does God get? What's wrong, beautiful? Trevor broke up with me. just replied. Dad, I can't believe you! <laughs> Thanks, Dad. He didn't deserve you. He didn't deserve you. One, two, Heavenly Father, thank you for being so good to us. God has the coolest job. He can make clouds all day. Yeah, it does. But I think one of his very best jobs is when he made you. Daddy. Hey, what's it like being a dad? How much time you got? This morning, we're uh, continuing with our series on right relationships. This morning, um, we're supposed to look at fatherhood, which is a huge uh, topic. And um, whenever I'm given a lot of uh, leeway, I'm always uh, troubled of trying to land on the right thing. But it was clear um, of what, where God was leading. In uh, A&O on Sunday mornings, we're watching a video series uh, for the teaching called Why Jesus by David Nasser. He says in there that when um, the, the um, Secret Service, the people who try to detect... Um, fraudulent um, currency in our country, they don't study the frauds, they study the real thing. And because uh, when they know best the authentic, the real thing, they're able to better see the frauds. And I think we could take a lot of time looking at fathers who try to do a pretty good job. But any father we look at is going to have brokenness and sinfulness, and uh, even the best fathers, all the guys with the number one dad t shirts, have problems. And so instead of looking at people who try to do pretty good, we're going to look at our Heavenly Father and look at the way that God um, showed him best, I think, in uh, so many of his characteristics and what we know is the story of the prodigal son. So as we uh, prepare to dig into this, let me uh, uh, pray as we seek God's guidance for a reading and understanding of his word. Pray with me, please. Dear God, we do thank you for the opportunity that we have to come together to learn about you and to hear your word and your truth. I pray, Lord, as the words I share would be yours, and they would be ones that draw us 
and uh, show us who you really are. Anything that is uh, strays from your truth, that would be quickly forgotten. We ask this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Luke 15, 11 through 32. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country and squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who, went, who, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back, safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I have been slaving for you, and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you, gave me, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, come home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we have to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. We all know of stories that we are, are common to our um, culture, common to our community, because we hear them over and over again. If I were to tell you a story that began with there were three brothers and they went out to build houses, one with, str- um, with straw, one with sticks, and one with bricks, you would know quickly the parallels I'm making to the story of the three little pigs. There's many other stories like that that we just kind of see in different forms in different places. When we read the story of the prodigal son, because of our context, we miss who Jesus was telling this story to. He was telling it to to Jewish people. And to the Jewish people of his day, the story of Jacob. The story of Jacob and his uh, twin brother Esau and what had gone on in their life was something that was common in their everyday language, a part of the fabric of their society. If you've um, been a while since you've read that, um, we don't have time to read the whole thing, but Genesis 25 through 35 really tells 
the story of Jacob and Esau, and we see some of the parallels. Ken Bailey, who is a, um, a, a great man and is regarded as the living expert on, the, on Luke 15, has a book that is uh, tremendous that I highly recommend called um, Jacob and the, Pro- and the Prodigal. J- um, Ken Bailey looks at the similarities and the differences of the life and the story of Jacob and, um, and the prodigal son. Ken um, has an amazing story. I had the opportunity to hear him at the last church I served at for a weekend. He's uh, spent 40 years living in the Middle East and teaching in Egypt, Lebanon, Jerusalem, and Cyprus. But he was also born and raised in Philadelphia. So he sees with the, um, the, the eyes of the Westerner and the re- reality of things that were going on in the Middle East culture. And so these uh, highlights, these parallels between uh, Jacob and the prodigal is something that Ken Bailey lays out clearly. And he does so in 51 different ways. 51 different ways of seeing contrasts and similarities between the two of them. Now, this could be literally a year sermon, but I don't have that much time. And so I'm going to share some of the highlights and all of, of some of these differences, and not only between Jacob and the prodigal, but also ways that this story is reflected in my own life and my own family. And we'll see four different scenes that go through both of these stories in parallel ways. Again, not exhaustive. The first part, the great rebellion. Jesus begins the story of the prodigal son with, there was a man who had two sons. And the Jewish listener of that day would have immediately thought of Isaac's two sons, Jacob and Esau. And there's the day that Isaac initiates, where he believes that it's time It's time for him to give his blessing because he knows that the end is near, knows or believes that his life is about to end. And so he he has Esau prepare a meal and and is getting ready to to give that blessing. But Rebekah and Jacob, working together to deceive their father, are able to put the blessing or get the blessing given to Jacob instead. Now to Isaac, it wasn't a tremendous loss because Still, one of his sons had the blessing, and he would rule over the land and have the other things that came with it. But for Esau, it meant trouble. It meant trouble because what should have been his as the firstborn was being passed on to his brother. And Jacob was in this place of knowing what was going to happen, and so did his mother. They, they had done something that was amazing, and they were going to get caught because there was no way to escape the wrath of Esau. So, um, so Jacob's uh, mom, Rebecca, said, I mean, uh, yeah, Rebecca, excuse me, um, said, get out of here. Go. Flee to your uncle Laban, and he'll take care of you. And then we get to there in the next scene. But for the story of Luke 15 and the prodigal son, the request for the inheritance was much different. For Jacob and Esau, what Isaac gave, it was a part of the time of life. For this prodigal son to go to his father and ask for the inheritance was to say, I wish you were dead. I want now what I'll get when you're gone, so why don't we just go ahead and take care of it now? And we kind of have this idea of America that he goes, okay, and goes to his office and writes a check and hands it to him, but that's not the way it was. For them in this culture, it was his land. It was his land, and his land was his life. In the musical Oklahoma, they sing about, we belong to the land. That's the way the prodigal son's father would have been. And now this process of getting the, liquidating the land was fairly long. A third of the land would have been divided. The other two remaining for the older brother. 
And they say that this community, everyone would have known the request. Everyone would have known what was happening and the embarrassment, the humiliation of that son. And also on that father to grant the request was something that was amazing. Ken Bailey says that no self-respecting landowner would have purchased the land. But I guess the price got low enough that someone did. Someone said, I'll take it. Probably pennies on the dollar. And the son had some money. And he was on his way. He left his, left his home. All it says is he went to a far-off land. Both Jacob and his younger son have severed their relationships with their father, leaving home thinking they're never going to return. Many of you know in my own life, I have three older sisters. And all of us in our lives have challenges in different ways. And praise God that I've had uh, some wonderful blessings at times. And there's glimpses in all of our lives when we look back and we realize how special some times were that we didn't really cherish as much as we maybe should have. I'm not sure the year that this picture was taken, but I'm fairly sure it was Christmas Day and possibly sometime in the early 80s when my two older sisters were in college and I was in a junior high or elementary school and uh, playing the great game of Battleship. Um, Julia, the one in purple, was my, is my middle sister. And there's details that I don't have time to share and some that I'm unaware of, and that's probably a good thing. But as a time and uh, circumstances happened in the spring of 1986, my sister Julia was engaged. She was about ready to graduate from college at Texas Tech and had uh, wedding plans that were in the works for that May. And Julia and my parents were involved in a deep conflict that had many different levels to it. Again, not going into those details. And for all of us, there are days that we remember. For myself, one of those was March 28, 1986. It was Good Friday, but it wasn't that good in our family. My dad and I had gone to the airport to pick up my sister flying in on, on an airplane, and as everybody got off the plane, she never got off. Went to the phone and called my mom and said, what's going on? And she said, well, Julia called and she's going to be in a little bit later on a later flight. So we're going to go pick her up and then just go to church and everything's going to be fine. So we thought everything was going to be fine. But as we were getting ready to go to the airport and to go to church, the phone rang. And um, it was um, my, my sister's fiance. And my parents both got on the line. And as was told to me, the conversation went something like this. It says, this is Calvin, my sister's fiance. I'm here with Julia, and she's not coming home today. I'm not sure when she is coming home, because we got married a few weeks ago. The tears, the crying, the what's going to happen began to go. Not knowing what that meant. When was not coming home? When was that going to happen? We went to church that evening, prayed. One of the pastors came over to, the church, uh, uh, to our house afterwards and visited but we didn't know what those years were going to be like. Would it be weeks? Would it be months? Would it be years? It was the time of the exile, the exile of, of all three of these stories. For Jacob and the younger son, they left town. Jacob, as he was instructed by his mom, went to go see his uncle Laban, went to this land and had a, a great blessing. You know, he gets to the, the um, as he's on the journey, he gets to, to Laban's place and he meets beautiful woman, Rachel, who he finds out is Laban's daughter, and he's overcome by her beauty and works out a deal, as we know, to, to marry her, but then gets Leah instead, and eventually he marries both of them, and there's a great time that, that Jacob has while he's in his exile. 
I believe it's about 20 years that he's there with Laban, where he accumulates great um, wealth, has children, and also um, two wives and other things that come with that. For the younger son, his time in exile wasn't quite as prosperous. We read that he squandered his money, that famine was in the land, and he ended up feeding the pigs. As Jesus tells this story, this son has been cast in a very negative light, just for the simple fact of requesting the inheritance before his father's death. And he only does more to add to the listener's displeasure with this man because he's feeding pigs, the lowest of lows. He has to go to a non-Jew for a job and then be with the dirty animals, the pigs. It continues the insult of this guy. For over two years, my only contact with my sister Julia was through a birthday card and Christmas gifts. She was living in Houston at the time and married to her husband and working at a um, re- major retailer in the buying department. We heard stories through an uncle that she was having some contact with, but neither my parents or my two other sisters or I had any con- connection with her for a significant period of time. And yet, as these people, Jacob, the, older, the younger son, and my sister, there's peace. There's peace. The promise, possibility of peace for those who are far off. As I mentioned, Jacob had accumulated great wealth, but over time, his uh, brother-in-laws were a little jealous of all that Jacob had. And the time came when um, his father-in-law Laban was after him, and again, we can read about that in Scripture in detail, but God came to him and said it was time to go. We read about that in Genesis 31.3. And so here he is. He has that point where he's got to go back, go back home. What was he thinking? It's only been 20 years. Maybe Esau's forgotten about how I stole his birthright and his blessing. Nah, he won't remember. As we read Scripture, we learn something that um, the Scripture teaches I think we've missed out on. Because how many of us men, especially, have been in a conflict or a fight with our wife? And there's that time where you're going to see her again. You're going to see that person again. And we know that maybe we're wrong. We know that there's a, a point of conflict. And so what do we do? We go by the florist, or we go by you know, Walgreens and get chocolate, whatever that, that peace offering is, and we come and say, here, things aren't so bad, are they? Well, Esau and Jacob, when they came together, Jacob didn't go and get flowers or chocolates. He went and gave all of his, um, his, the, the, the livestock and showed his children and said, these are yours, You're, I'm under your power. Maybe that'll soften him up. Maybe things will be better. Well, the point of tension, of when their return is going to happen, what's Esau going to do in response to, what, to this time with Jacob? What's he going to do? And as David read this moment ago, it says in the scripture that he embraced him. He fell on his neck, he kissed him, and they wept. This time where the, there's so much in the past, so many things that he missed out on because of his brother stealing the blessing, stealing the birthright. And yet Esau comes and embraces him. And we read about the way that, that, that even Jacob wasn't comfortable with this for some time. But they came back together. And the story that Jesus tells in Luke 15 is one that we've heard songs maybe sung about and other sermons and stories much better in detail and great um, call back to the openness of those who repent and come back to Jesus. But it's the same act. 
The same act when the prodigal son comes back and the father reaches out and embraces him. Scripture says that when the son was a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion, and ran and embraced him and kissed him. This is the role, actually, if this is a real story, was the role of the mother, the role of the woman, to go and seek out and embrace the son. But as Jesus tells this story, he places this role of the woman, the feminine role, on the role of God, because that is truly one of the things we see in this story is that God not only has the masculine, um, masculine characteristics, but also the female ones, the more feminine ones, and reaches out to the son who is away. And when he comes in, he lavishes him with a robe, a party, all these wonderful things that continued probably to cast a negative light on the father because of the shame that he should have been feeling. But he didn't let that guide him. The love for his son is what was there. Now, all of us as parents sometimes do funny things. I do it myself, and um, we usually see it afterwards. But my um, family growing up, we had this rhythm where that. Thanksgiving, the meal rotated between ourselves and our house and a lifelong friend of my mother's, the Harriets, that lived in Dallas also. They were both from Illinois. We're in Dallas. So every even year we were at the Harriets. I mean, every even year we were at our house. Every odd year we were at the Harriets. And one year, 1988, for whatever reason, my mom did something kind of weird. She sent invitations to everyone in the family and close friends for Thanksgiving dinner. I even got one even though the meal was 20 feet from my bedroom. I got an invitation to Thanksgiving dinner, which was a little weird. She sent one to my uncle, my sisters, and all of us, and some close family, friends. But that morning, Thanksgiving morning, we got a phone call. We got a phone call from the family friend that Julia had called and said, they're coming. They're coming to Thanksgiving dinner. What would that mean? Anticipation. What were we going to do? What was going to be said? It was a great time. I don't remember the details of that day. I remember because of this picture that women wearing scarves was in fashion. Um, (laughs) This is my uh, youngest sister, Dinah and Julia. And this is that day. There's a few pictures of it. But I remember embracing. I remember hugging each other and holding each other. As we sat down for the meal, no one said, what you been doing for the last two and a half years? Phone broken? Forget where we live? No, there's a time of reconciliation, time of reminiscing and looking to the future, looking to opportunities. It was a great day of celebration. But as I sat there and all this celebration for my sister was going on, I had a feeling, a feeling of the older brother, even though I was the youngest. Or as Ken Bailey says, the peace for the one who is near. Because as we look at these stories, Esau and the older brother had done everything that was right. Esau didn't have much to lose since Jacob left. He still got a lot of land and and, and position. But the older brother in the prodigal story, his his portion of the estate was diminished by the early division of the property. Along with his standing in the community as his father's standing went down. This picture that uh, Rembrandt painted of, G- of the prodigal coming back, it's hard to see with the darkness, but if you can s- just see to the right of the father who is bent down, embracing the younger son, you see the older brother, the good brother, the one who has done everything right. He's in the shadows knowing that um, he, there's a tremendous jealousy that's here. 
And the reality is that so many times we look at this story and we see the, the younger brother is the one, don't be like him, be like the older brother. But when Jesus tells the totality of the story, it's not that one brother is right, they're both in the wrong. Because they don't love the father for the father. They love him for his stuff. We've all been a part of that. We've all seen that. Uh, Do we truly love God for the blessings that he's given to us? Or do we love God because we're expecting something? We're making a deal. Tim Keller, in his book, The Prodigal God, which is one of my favorite books, says that elder brothers may do good to others, but not out of delight to the deeds themselves, or for for the love of people, or the pleasures of God. Underneath the seemingly unselfishness is great self-centeredness. It's one of the realities that for so many of us in the church, so many of us that know Christ, that we are acting as older brothers, feeling like we've done right and we deserve something. For several years, that was me. I didn't lose property or inheritance because of my sister's time in exile. My parents, though, I lost them in some ways. Because for really the rest of my time at home, they doubted every decision they made. Every decision that they made, they were second-guessing. Was this what pushed Julia away? Are we doing this again with Stuart and my, our, my other sister, Dinah? It was difficult. But over the years, our relationships healed. Julia's marriage, though, didn't last. And uh, it came in 1996 where she was leaving Houston. And I got a call on the April 12th, a Wednesday, that um, she and her husband, Calvin, were getting divorced. They were selling their house, and she was moving back to Dallas. And he, her husband, Calvin, was coming a day earlier to move the stuff that she had planned, and she needed help. And could Deborah and I be there? So Wednesday night, late at night, we drove to Houston so we could be there with my sister to help her pack up her stuff. And on April 14th, 96, which I don't think was coincidence, was Good Friday. I helped my sister return to Dallas. Over the next several years, we had a great time of of healing and reconciling. Julia's marriage with Calvin ended when she married a new wonderful man. She has two great kids and back into the regular family rhythm. But these stories, there's always that Paul Harvey, the rest of the story, of where do they go. And I see in a lot of ways a homecoming. After Jacob and Esau come together at this union, the next time we see them together is in Genesis 35, 29, where Isaac breathes his last breath, and it says, and his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. It's the last time we see these two brothers together at the death, at the burial of their dad. The story of the prodigal son ends at the father's invitation of the older son to go to the brother's party. We don't know how it ends. We don't know how many days or weeks, if he ever reconciled, if he ever saw the distance of his heart. But for several years, we can wonder. And that's the great thing about Scripture, is wondering. Several years ago, in around 2000, my mother was diagnosed with a neurological disease called chorea that made speech very difficult in eating and her walking and created other challenges. And when I was with my parents in a, a January of 2008, I knew I had a peace. It was the last time that I was going to see my mom alive. And on March 10th, I received a phone call that I knew was coming. Julia was on her way to my parents' house, about a mile away, where my mom had choked and wasn't breathing. Julia arrived to see an ambulance and fire truck out in the front yard, and my dad standing there alone. 
by himself when his wife of over 50 years was taking her last breath. <laughs> Who is the one to put his arm, her arms around him and comfort him at that time of loss? It was Julia. Looking for the things, but then being reunited in the heart. Loving my dad for who he is, not for any stuff. A few years later, my dad had a surgery and never fully recovered from the anesthesia. And complications from early Alzheimer's led to his eventual passing in August of 2012. And who was there with her? The end, again, Julia, there to comfort him. Heart connections over time. So what? What does this story have of, of Jacob and Esau, of the prodigal, of my own story? So many stories that we look for, we see and we want to see the hero. In the story of Jacob and Esau, Jacob was the hero who overcame so much to triumph. As we look at the story of the prodigal son, many times people see the older brother as the hero. And I did for several years, seeing my obedience, seeing doing things right was making me the hero of my own story. But reading Tim Keller and understanding Scripture more, I realized that the prodigal God teaches us that I need to not only confess what I do, but confess my motives for what I do right. In my own life, I feel at times that I'm the hero, but the only hero, the only true Savior is Jesus Christ. We can deceive ourselves thinking we can do it on our own. There's even the hymn that says, I surrender all that we have the ability to do it all. But Zach Hicks has rewritten that song, which we'll sing at the end of the service. And it truly says the shift from what I can do versus what Christ did. It says, Jesus, you surrendered all, all for me. And I'm not left with nothing else to say other than that there truly is no condemnation, just a love that cannot fade. Amen.